0: Section 13 of the Sorrows of Young Werther. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Barry Eads. The Sorrows of Young Werther by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Section 13, December 20, part 3. Werther ran to the gate of the town the guards who knew him let him pass in silence. The night was dark and stormy. It rained and snowed. He reached his own door about eleven. His servant, although seeing him enter the house without his hat, did not venture to say anything. And as he undressed his master, he found that his clothes were wet. His hat was afterward found on the point of a rock overhanging the valley, and it is inconceivable HOW HE COULD HAVE CLIMBED TO THE SUMMIT ON SUCH A DARK, tempestuous NIGHT WITHOUT LOSING HIS LIFE. HE RETIRED TO BED AND SLEPT TO A LATE HOUR. THE NEXT MORNING HIS SERVANT, UPON BEING CALLED TO BRING HIS COFFEE, FOUND HIM WRITING. HE WAS ADDING TO CHARLOTTE WHAT WE HERE annex. FOR THE LAST, LAST TIME I OPEN THESE EYES. ALAS, THEY WILL BEHOLD THE SUN NO MORE. IT IS COVERED BY A THICK, IMPENETRABLE CLOUD. YES, NATURE, PUTTING ON MOURNING, YOUR CHILD, YOUR FRIEND, YOUR LOVER, DRAWS NEAR HIS END. THIS THOUGHT, CHARLOTTE, IS WITHOUT PARALLEL, AND YET IT SEEMS LIKE A MYSTERIOUS DREAM WHEN I REPEAT, THIS IS MY LAST DAY, THE LAST. CHARLOTTE, NO WORD CAN ADEQUATELY EXPRESS THIS THOUGHT, THE LAST. TODAY I STAND ERECT IN ALL MY STRENGTH, TOMORROW, COLD AND STARK, I shall lie extended upon the ground. To die. What is death? We do but dream in our discourse upon it. I have seen many human beings die. But, so straitened is our feeble nature, we have no clear conception of the beginning or the end of our existence. At this moment I am my own, or rather I am thine, thine, my adored, and the next we are parted, severed, perhaps for ever. No, Charlotte, no. How can I, how can you, be annihilated? We exist. What is annihilation? A mere word, an unmeaning sound that fixes no impression on the mind. Dead Charlotte, laid in the cold earth, in the dark and narrow grave. I had a friend once who was everything to me in early youth. She died. I followed her hearse. I stood by her grave when the coffin was lowered, and when I heard the creaking of the cords as they were loosened and drawn up, when the first shovelful of earth was thrown in, and the coffin returned a hollow sound, which grew fainter and fainter till all was completely covered over, I threw myself on the ground. My heart was smitten, grieved, shattered, rent, but I neither knew what had happened, nor what was to happen to me. Death, THE GRAVE, I UNDERSTOOD NOT THE WORDS, FORGIVE, OH FORGIVE ME, YESTERDAY, AH, THAT DAY SHOULD HAVE BEEN THE LAST OF MY LIFE, THOU ANGEL, FOR THE FIRST TIME IN MY EXISTENCE I FELT RAPTURE GLOW WITHIN MY INMOST SOUL, SHE LOVES, SHE LOVES ME, STILL BURNS UPON MY LIPS THE SACRED FIRE THEY RECEIVED FROM THINE, NEW TORRENTS OF DELIGHT OVERWHELM MY SOUL, FORGIVE ME, oh FORGIVE. I KNEW THAT I WAS DEAR TO YOU, I SAW IT, IN YOUR FIRST ENTRANCING LOOK, KNEW IT BY THE FIRST PRESSURE OF YOUR HAND, BUT WHEN I WAS ABSENT FROM YOU, WHEN I SAW ALBERT AT YOUR SIDE, MY DOUBTS AND FEARS RETURNED. DO YOU REMEMBER THE FLOWERS YOU SENT ME, WHEN AT THAT CROWDED ASSEMBLY YOU COULD NEITHER SPEAK NOR EXTEND YOUR HAND TO ME? HALF THE NIGHT I WAS ON MY KNEES BEFORE THOSE FLOWERS i regarded them as the pledges of your love but those impressions grew fainter and were at length effaced everything passes away but a whole eternity could not extinguish the living flame which was yesterday kindled by your lips and which now burns within me she loves me these arms have encircled her waist these lips have trembled upon hers she is mine yes charlotte you are mine for ever. And what do they mean by saying Albert is your husband? He may be so for this world, and in this world it is a sin to love you, to wish to tear you from his embrace. Yes, it is a crime, and I suffer the punishment. But I have enjoyed the full delight of my sin. I have inhaled a balm that has revived my soul. From this hour you are mine. Yes, Charlotte, you are mine. I go before you. I GO TO MY FATHER AND TO YOUR FATHER, I WILL POUR OUT MY SORROWS BEFORE HIM, AND HE WILL GIVE ME COMFORT TILL YOU ARRIVE. THEN I WILL FLY TO MEET YOU, I WILL CLAIM YOU, AND REMAIN YOUR ETERNAL EMBRACE IN THE PRESENCE OF THE ALMIGHTY. I DO NOT DREAM, I DO NOT RAVE. DRAWING NEAR TO THE GRAVE MY PERCEPTIONS BECOME CLEARER. WE SHALL EXIST, WE SHALL SEE EACH OTHER AGAIN, WE SHALL BEHOLD YOUR MOTHER. I shall behold her, and expose to her my inmost heart. Your mother, your image. About eleven o'clock, Verta asked his servant if Albert had returned. He answered, Yes. He had seen him pass on horseback, upon which Verta sent him the following note unsealed. Be so good as to lend me your pistols for a journey. Adieu. Charlotte had slept little during the past night, all her apprehensions were realized in a way that she could neither foresee nor avoid. Her blood was boiling in her veins, and a thousand painful sensations rent her pure heart. Was it the ardor of Virta's passionate embraces that she felt within her bosom? Was it anger at his daring? Was it the sad comparison of her present condition with former days of innocence, tranquillity, and self-confidence? How could she approach her husband and confess a scene which she had no reason to conceal, and which she yet felt nevertheless unwilling to avow? They had preserved so long a silence toward each other, and should she be the first to break it by so unexpected a discovery? She feared that the mere statement of Verta's visit would trouble him, and his distress would be heightened by her perfect candor. She wished that he could see her in her true light, and judge her without prejudice. But was she anxious that he should read her inmost soul? On the other hand, could she deceive a being to whom all her thoughts had ever been exposed as clearly as crystal, and from whom no sentiment had ever been concealed? These reflections made her anxious and thoughtful. Her mind still dwelt on Verta, who was now lost to her, but whom she could not bring herself to resign, and for whom she knew nothing was left but despair, if she should be lost to him for ever. A recollection of that mysterious estrangement which had lately subsisted between herself and Albert, and which she could never thoroughly understand, was now beyond measure painful to her. Even the prudent and the good have before now hesitated to explain their mutual differences, and have dwelt in silence upon their imaginary grievances, until circumstances have become so entangled, that in that critical juncture, when a calm explanation would have saved all parties, an understanding was impossible. And thus, if domestic confidence had been earlier established between them, if love and kind forbearance had mutually animated and expanded their hearts, it might not, perhaps, even yet have been too late to save our friend. But we must not forget one remarkable circumstance we may observe from the character of Verta's correspondence, that he had never affected to conceal his anxious desire to quit this world. He had often discussed the subject with Albert, and between the latter and Charlotte, it had not unfrequently formed a topic of conversation. Albert was so opposed to the very idea of such an action, that with a degree of irritation unusual in him, he had more than once given Verta to understand that he doubted the seriousness of his threats, and not only turned them into ridicule, but caused Charlotte to share his feelings of incredulity. Her heart was thus tranquilized when she felt disposed to view the melancholy subject in a serious point of view, though she never communicated to her husband the apprehensions she sometimes experienced. Albert, upon his return, was received by Charlotte with ill-concealed embarrassment. He was himself out of humor, his business was unfinished, and he had just discovered that the neighboring official with whom he had to deal was an obstinate and narrow-minded personage. Many things had occurred to irritate him. He inquired whether anything had happened during his absence, and Charlotte hastily answered that Verte had been there on the evening previously. He then inquired for his letters, and was answered that several packages had been left in his study. He thereon retired, leaving Charlotte alone. The presence of the being she loved and honored produced a new impression on her heart. The recollection of his generosity, kindness, and affection had calmed her agitation. A secret impulse prompted her to follow him. She took her work, and went to his study, as was often her custom. He was busily employed opening and reading his letters. It seemed as if the contents of some were disagreeable. She asked some questions, he gave short answers, and sat down to write. Several hours passed in this manner, and Charlotte's feelings became more and more melancholy. She felt the extreme difficulty of explaining to her husband, under any circumstances, the weight that lay upon her heart. And her depression became every moment greater, in proportion as she endeavoured to hide her grief and to conceal her tears. The arrival of Virta's servant occasioned her the greatest embarrassment. He gave Albert a note, which the latter coldly handed to his wife, saying, at the same time, Give him the pistols, I wish him a pleasant journey, he added to the servant. These words fell upon Charlotte like a thunder-stroke. She rose from her seat half-fainting and unconscious of what she did. She walked mechanically toward the wall, took down the pistols with a trembling hand, slowly wiped the dust from them, and would have delayed longer had not Albert hastened her movements by an impatient look. She then delivered the fatal weapons to the servant, without being able to utter a word. As soon as he had departed, she folded up her work and retired at once to her room, her heart overcome with the most fearful forebodings she anticipated some dreadful calamity. She was at one moment on the point of going to her husband, throwing herself at his feet, and acquainting him with all that had happened on the previous evening, that she might acknowledge her fault, and explain her apprehensions. Then she saw that such a step would be useless, as she would certainly be unable to induce Albert to visit Verta. Dinner was served and a kind friend whom she had persuaded to remain assisted to sustain the conversation, which was carried on by a sort of compulsion, till the events of the morning were forgotten. When the servant brought the pistols to Virta, the latter received them with transports of delight, upon hearing that Charlotte had given them to him with her own hand. He ate some bread, drank some wine, sent his servant to dinner, and then sat down to write as follows. THEY HAVE BEEN IN YOUR HANDS, YOU WIPED THE DUST FROM THEM, I KISSED THEM A THOUSAND TIMES, YOU HAVE TOUCHED THEM, YES, HEAVEN FAVORS MY DESIGN, AND YOU, CHARLOTTE, PROVIDE ME WITH THE FATAL INSTRUMENTS, IT WAS MY DESIRE TO RECEIVE MY DEATH FROM YOUR HANDS, AND MY WISH IS GRATIFIED, I HAVE MADE INQUIRIES OF MY SERVANT, YOU TREMBLED WHEN YOU GAVE HIM THE PISTOLS, BUT YOU BADE ME NO adieu. WRETCHED, WRETCHED THAT I AM, not one farewell how could you shut your heart against me in that hour which makes you mine for ever Charlotte, ages cannot efface the impression. I feel you cannot hate the man who so passionately loves you. After dinner he called his servant, desired him to finish the packing up, destroyed many papers, and then went out to pay some trifling debts. He soon returned home, then went out again, notwithstanding the rain, "'walked for some time in the Count's garden, "'and afterward proceeded farther into the country. Toward evening he came back once more "'and resumed his writing. "'Wilhelm, I have for the last time "'beheld the mountains, the forests, and the sky. "'Farewell. "'And you, my dearest mother, forgive me. "'Console her, Wilhelm. "'God bless you. "'I have settled all my affairs. "'Farewell.' We shall meet again and be happier than ever. I have requited you badly, Albert, but you will forgive me. I have disturbed the peace of your home. I have sowed distrust between you. Farewell. I will end all this wretchedness. And oh, that my death may render you happy! Albert, Albert, make that angel happy, and the blessing of heaven be upon you. He spent the rest of the evening in arranging his papers he tore and burned a great many, others he sealed up and directed to Wilhelm. They contained some detached thoughts and maxims, some of which I have perused. At ten o'clock he ordered his fire to be made up, and a bottle of wine to be brought to him. He then dismissed his servant, whose room, as well as the apartments of the rest of the family, was situated in another part of the house. THE SERVANT LAY DOWN WITHOUT UNDRESSING, THAT HE MIGHT BE THE SOONER READY FOR HIS JOURNEY IN THE MORNING, HIS MASTER HAVING INFORMED HIM THAT THE POST HORSES WOULD BE AT THE DOOR BEFORE SIX O'CLOCK. PAST ELEVEN O'CLOCK. ALL IS SILENT AROUND ME, AND MY SOUL IS CALM. I THANK THEE, O GOD, THAT THOU BESTOWEST STRENGTH AND COURAGE UPON ME IN THESE LAST MOMENTS. I APPROACH THE WINDOW, MY DEAREST FRIENDS, AND THROUGH THE CLOUDS, which are at this moment driven rapidly along by the impetuous winds, I behold the stars which illumine the eternal heavens. No, you will not fall, celestial bodies. The hand of the Almighty supports both you and me. I have looked for the last time upon the constellation of the greater bear. It is my favorite star, for when I bade you farewell at night, Charlotte, and turned my steps from your door, it always shone upon me. With what rapture have I at times beheld it? How often have I implored it with uplifted hands to witness my felicity? And even still, by what object is there, Charlotte, which fails to summon up your image before me? Do you not surround me on all sides? And have I not, like a child, treasured up every trifle which you have consecrated by your touch? Your profile, which was so dear to me, I return to you and i pray you to preserve it thousands of kisses which i imparted upon it and a thousand times has it gladdened my heart on departing from and returning to my home i have implored your father to protect my remains at the corner of the churchyard looking toward the fields there are two lime trees there i wish to lie your father can and doubtless will do this much for his friend implore it of him but perhaps pious Christians will not choose that their bodies should be buried near the corpse of a poor unhappy wretch like me. Then let me be laid in some remote valley, or near the highway, where the priest and Levite may bless themselves as they pass by my tomb, whilst the Samaritan will shed a tear from my fate. See, Charlotte, I do not shudder to take the cold and fatal cup, from which I shall drink the draught of death your hand presents it to me, and I do not tremble. All, all is now concluded. The wishes and the hopes of my existence are fulfilled. With cold, unflinching hand I knock at the brazen portals of death. Oh, that I have enjoyed the bliss of dying for you! How gladly would I have sacrificed myself for you, Charlotte! And could I but restore peace and joy to your bosom? With what resolution, with what joy! would I not meet my fate. But it is the lot of only a chosen few to shed their blood for their friends, and by their death to augment a thousand times the happiness of those by whom they are beloved. I wish, Charlotte, to be buried in the dress I wear at present. It has been rendered sacred by your touch. I have begged this favor of your father. My spirit soars above my sepulchre. I do not wish my pockets to be searched. THE knot OF PINK RIBBON WHICH YOU WORE ON YOUR BOSOM THE FIRST TIME I SAW YOU, SURROUNDED BY THE CHILDREN. OH, KISS THEM A THOUSAND TIMES FOR ME, AND TELL THEM THE FATE OF THEIR UNHAPPY FRIEND. I THINK I SEE THEM PLAYING AROUND ME. THE DEAR CHILDREN, HOW WARMLY HAVE I BEEN ATTACHED TO YOU, CHARLOTTE. SINCE THE FIRST HOUR I SAW YOU, HOW IMPOSSIBLE HAVE I FOUND IT TO LEAVE YOU. THIS RIBBON MUST BE BURIED WITH ME. IT WAS A PRESENT FROM YOU ON MY BIRTHDAY. How confused it all appears! Little did I then think that I should journey this road. But peace, I pray you, peace. They are loaded. The clock strikes twelve. I say, Amen. Charlotte, Charlotte. Farewell, farewell. A neighbor saw the flash and heard the report of the pistol. But as everything remained quiet, he thought no more of it. IN THE MORNING, AT SIX O'CLOCK, THE SERVANT WENT TO VERTA'S ROOM WITH A CANDLE. HE FOUND HIS MASTER STRETCHED UPON THE FLOOR, WELTERING IN HIS BLOOD, AND THE PISTOLS AT HIS SIDE. HE CALLED. HE TOOK HIM IN HIS ARMS, BUT RECEIVED NO ANSWER. LIFE WAS NOT YET QUITE EXTINCT. THE SERVANT RAN FOR A SURGEON, AND THEN WENT FORTH TO FETCH ALBERT. CHARLOTTE HEARD THE RINGING OF THE BELL. A COLD SHUDDER SEIZED HER. SHE WAKENED HER HUSBAND, AND THEY BOTH ROSE. THE SERVANT, BATHED IN TEARS, FALTERED FORTH THE DREADFUL NEWS. CHARLOTTE FELL SENSELESS AT ALBERT'S FEET. WHEN THE SURGEON CAME TO THE UNFORTUNATE VERTA, HE WAS STILL LYING ON THE FLOOR, AND HIS PULSE BEAT, BUT HIS LIMBS WERE COLD. THE BULLET ENTERING THE FOREHEAD OVER THE RIGHT EYE HAD PENETRATED THE SKULL. A VEIN WAS OPENED IN HIS RIGHT ARM. THE BLOOD CAME, AND HE STILL CONTINUED TO BREATHE. From the blood which flowed from the chair it could be inferred that he had committed the rash act sitting at his bureau, and that he afterward fell upon the floor. He was found lying on his back near the window. He was in full dress costume. The house, the neighborhood, and the whole town were immediately in commotion. Albert arrived. They had laid Verta on the bed, his head was bound up, and the paleness of death was upon his face. HIS LIMBS WERE MOTIONLESS, BUT HE STILL BREATHED, AT ONE TIME STRONGLY, THEN WEAKER. HIS DEATH WAS MOMENTLY EXPECTED. HE HAD DRUNK ONLY ONE GLASS OF THE WINE. Amelia Galati LAY OPEN UPON HIS BUREAU. I SHALL SAY NOTHING OF ALBERT'S DISTRESS OR OF CHARLOTTE'S GRIEF. THE OLD STEWARD HASTENED TO THE DOOR IMMEDIATELY UPON HEARING THE NEWS. HE EMBRACED HIS DYING FRIEND AMID A FLOOD OF TEARS. His eldest boy soon followed him on foot. In speechless sorrow they threw themselves on their knees by the bedside, and kissed his hands and face. The eldest, who was his favorite, hung over him till he expired, and even then he was removed by force. At twelve o'clock, Verta breathed his last. The presence of the steward, and the precautions he had adopted, prevented a disturbance, and that night, at the hour of eleven, he caused the body to be interred in the place which Verta had selected for himself. The steward and his sons followed the corpse to the grave. Albert was unable to accompany them. Charlotte's life was despaired of. The body was carried by laborers. No priest attended. End of Section 13 End of The Sorrows of Young Verta, by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe